How did he do it? You can't read this story uh, of Jesus walking on the water and not walk away objectively with a serious question. <laughs> yeah. uh, in fact, I'd, I'd put it to you, there's two questions we've got to ask of, of what Ruth has read to us. Number one is, did it really happen? That has vexed historians throughout history. One of the most prominent is a name called Albert Schweitzer. He wrote a book called Historical Jesus, and in it, you know, his whole working hypothesis was that we've got to say that everything that is supernatural that Jesus did, there's some sort of explanation for, you know. Uh, his, his particular things for this Jesus walking on, on the lake um, was that maybe he was on a sandbank, Maybe it was an optical illusion. They were closer to the shore than what they thought they were, these disciples. And so they really saw Jesus walking along the shore. Um, or was he just three times faster than Usain Bolt and managed to skip across the lake? You know, that's a question. Did it really happen? And, 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 and if it happened, here's the second question. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> why this kind of bizarre kind of uh, miraculous sign, if you like. You might say to yourself, well, you know what, I kind of get it in, in the lead, lead up to this point. <clears throat> um, Jesus heals people. Jesus drives out demons. Jesus has raised someone from the dead. Sure, Jesus is a good guy. Um, he's trying to show to us that who he is and that he is... is I'm not going to say too much because I'll get there later, but, but that he's an important person. He cares about sick people, dying people, demon-possessed people. But why walk on water? <laughs> why this miraculous sign? And why do it a second time? Because he's already done it earlier in the Gospel of Mark. What is it about this particular time that is unique? How does this particular instance give us another insight into that ever-deepening answer of, who is this man? Who, who is Jesus? And what does this show us? That's what I want to do today. And what I'm going to do, I'll spend a bit of time in the story first. If you're a new Christian, if you're a young Christian, if you haven't been in church for very long, um, you know, I'm going to reach back a little bit in the first part of this message into a part of the Bible that's called the Old Testament. God's story with humanity is a very long story. It reaches many thousands of years. It's all connected to Jesus. And today, in order to really get why this miracle, we've got to go back a little bit and look at a few things. So bear with me, stay with me. Uh, once we've done that kind of hard work, if you will, we'll swing it to us and go, all right, here's what we're supposed to get today that changes our lives. Everyone cool with that? Let's go. We read immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Ruth mentioned that the feeding of the 5,000 have just taken place. It was a massive event in the life of Jesus, and it's finished. Now we're moving on. Uh, after leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. Jesus is mentioned praying three times in the Gospel of Mark alone by himself. 
Luke, another guy who writes us a story about who Jesus is, he puts Jesus down as praying alone all the time. Um, I can't tell you how many times, because I was too slack to research that this week. But I can tell you, three times in Mark, we read, Jesus prays alone. Each time he prays uh, is at night, it's in a lonely place. Each finds the disciples removed from him, and here's the key part, failing to understand his mission. Every time Jesus prays alone, without his disciples, it's at a pivotal point where the disciples are starting to not get who he is. Or they're at risk to drift into having an understanding of who he is that isn't actually who he is. And, And this is the same this time. It seems like Jesus goes to pray. We're not told what he's praying. But can I venture a guess that maybe part of what he's praying is God, I really want them to understand who I am. Let them get it. Let them see who I am. Let them understand the fullness of, 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 of my being, of, of why I came, all those sorts of things. And, and shortly after that prayer, he goes and walks on the lake. Everything that happens on the lake here, I think is in some sense an answer to that prayer. We see that next bit of who he is. We read on. Evening came, the boat's in the middle of the lake. It's about a six to eight hour paddle, if it goes well. Um, And they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, between 3 to 6 a.m. So we're in the early hours of the morning here. He went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them. Why would he pass by them? (laughs) It's odd, isn't it? Did he not recognise them? Was he lost? Why walk past the boat? (laughs) Why put it... Put it in your gospel that you write as one of the disciples who were in the boat. Why why feel it so important that we get this, that he was about to pass by them? I put it to you, that, that's the centerpiece of this whole event. Let's, Let's dig into it. Here's why. Jesus was not lost. It was not that Jesus did not recognize the disciples' boat and and was at risk of passing by. It wasn't that he couldn't see them. No, no, no. Every time in the Bible, when this phrase, passed by, is mentioned, it is loaded with force. It's charged with meaning. Let me give you a few examples. Now we're going to go into the Old Testament. The first comes at Mount Sinai, when Moses, God's leader, uh, led God's people out of slavery, out of oppression, and they're in the desert, and it's going tough, and they're not really sure why they're here. They're not really sure who God is and whether he is worth their belief and their following. And God says in this time, in the desert, where it's rough, where it's difficult, I'm going to show you who I am. He says to Moses, climb to the top of Mount Sinai, and there in Exodus, we read, when my glory 
passes by. I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. (laughs) The God of the universe who created everything, the God of Genesis, the God who took his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm out of Egypt, overthrowing Pharaoh, is, is passing by Moses on Mount Sinai. And then that biblical story continues on throughout history. The people again kind of lose their way. They don't want to believe in who God is. They, and God restores them. And many, many years later, we read that on a different mountain, on Mount Horeb, again, the Lord says, I'm going to show you who I am. This time not to Moses, but to a prophet named Elijah. First Kings 19. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Perhaps, if it's, if it's not enough yet to get the picture of how significant this idea of passing by is in Scripture, there's one more that is an incredible link to us about our passage today. Here it is. It comes from Job. This talks about God, about who he is. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. On that lake, on that morning hour, the God of Israel, majestic and awesome, was passing by. What those disciples saw was none other than the creator of the universe expressed in his son Jesus, unveiling his glory to them as he passes by. Who is Jesus? It's the glory of God revealed, shown, passing by. (laughs) The disciples, for their part, are freaked out. They, they, They say... (laughs) <laughs> to each other, what we read, they thought it was a ghost. They, uh, they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Perhaps it was the storm, perhaps it was the fear, perhaps it's the confusion. Don't know, but I'm sure I would have been the same, I think. If I, if I was there, you would probably be the same. And then... Uh, if Jesus hasn't lifted the curtain enough in this moment to show them who he is or another aspect of who he is, here's the next bit. He says to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Your English translations, my English translation doesn't really help us a lot here. It simply says, take courage, it's me. (laughs) The Greek words for it is I are these words. It's, it's ego, Amy. I am. If you're a Christian, those words should take you back. 
to take you back again to Moses. God appears to Moses in the most difficult time in his life, not on a storm, but in a desert, in a burning bush. God, he says, who are you? Who am I to say is the one who sent me back to your people to deliver them from slavery? And God answers them. He says, I am. Tell them the I am has sent you. Obviously, the connection here is it's just so clear. Who is Jesus? <laughs> it's the great I am. The same God from the burning bush. It's the same God from Mount Sinai. It's the same God from uh, Mount Horeb for Elijah. It's the same God of Job described as the one who treads upon the seas. This is who Jesus is. That's what they're meant to see. It's what they're meant to get. All right, now let me turn this to us as I move towards a close. What, what do we get out of this? How does this change my life? How does it change your life as we listen to it today? I'll give you four things. Firstly, God shows himself to his people in the storm. <laughs> it's in the desert, Mount Sinai, when things are at their hardest that God's glory passes by Moses. It's in Mount Horeb, in terrible times, that God's glory passes by Elijah. It is under terrible suffering that Job receives an understanding of who God is. It is fighting for their lives in a trial on a stormy lake that the disciples sees the great I am and the glory passing by them. Friend, if you are in a trial in your life, understand this. It's probable that God is going to reveal himself to you in some way or another in that. We don't know why he does this, but this is how he does it. It's Jesus who sent those disciples into the storm. He didn't shield them from it. He didn't har harbour them from it. He didn't avoid it. He sent them in there. In the depression, in the confusion, in the loneliness, in the cancer, in the hurt, God is going to show himself. This is what he does. He shows himself supremely on the cross. The greatest of trials in human history, he reveals his greatest glory in Jesus. God shows himself in the storm. He has on that night, on that lake, for those disciples, and he will for you in your life and for us as a church in our greatest trials, we receive the greatest revelation of who God is. Number one. Number two. God gives great comfort in the storm. His words to the disciples. You see the waves. You feel the fear. Take courage. It is I. I am. I don't know what storms you're facing or what trials you're facing or how hopeless you, how hopeless you feel you may be, but here's what you need to hear today that he who is the great I 
am, the great creator, stands in the middle of the storm and he says to you, whatever you see and however bad it may look and however it may fill you with fear, I am. I hold this. I hold you. Take courage. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because it's not real how bad it is around you. No, don't be afraid because I am. (laughs) I am. Number three, God will calm the storm. We read in the story that the wind died down. Now, I'm careful here because, you know, there is this now and not yet aspect of of God's kingdom breaking into our world and into your life. The particular storm that you may be facing right now, you know, God may change that. God may take it away. He certainly can. The wind did down, die down on that lake at that time. The storm that you're facing right now may pass. He may bring the healing. He may bring the restoration. He may change the circumstances. He may. He may. But it may also be that he'll also do that at the end when Jesus returns. (laughs) When Christ comes in his fullness and the full extent of God's glory and his kingdom comes in and we have a new heavens, we have a, a new earth and all restoration, all healing, all perfection, all forgiveness, And and purity is restored to this broken earth in which we live. And I encourage you today to hold on to the hope that God is going to let the wind die down. Whether in this life or the next, the promise is firm. It's true. It's secure. Hold on to it. You know that you can hold on to it because Jesus climbed into the boat. Did you realize how significant this was in this story? For Moses, the glory passes by. For Elijah, the glory passes by. Job, he treads on the sea, he passes by. The disciples, the glory gets in. God is in your boat. He's in it. Tim Keller, uh, I'm paraphrasing the guy, but he, he, he speaks often with great eloquence, but he, he looks at in Jesus coming into our world, or we'll celebrate at Christmas, uh, Jesus' birth, his death and his resurrection, and he says it's literally like God punching a hole through the roof of the earth and he climbs in. <laughs> he comes into our world, into our boat. And because he does, he can repair it. He can let the winds die down and he will. Either now Definitely, in the end. Last point. I just want to speak to, to you if, you if you have real difficulty understanding this story or accepting the story, not understanding it, accepting it. Did this really happen? Jesus walking on water? Yes, yes it did. Yes it did. There was no sandbank. Uh, there was no optical illusion. It wasn't liquid mountaineering. He did it. 
question is not whether he could walk on water or not. The question is who he was. Who he was. Is he the God who created all things? Is he the designer? Is he who we came from? Was he the one who made the water? If he was, walking on it is no problem. It really isn't. So the question, wherever you're at with your faith, whatever hang-ups you may have with, with the miracles that you see in the Bible and, and that I, I implore you to not discount the reality of God because of how improbable these things may sound. I encourage you to think about whether there is a God who created us, who loves us, who is an all-loving, all-powerful reality, a being. And if you can bring yourself to that, um, I trust <laughs> that the comfort that comes from that will become yours. Talk to me, talk to us. If you want to find out more, if you want to wrestle more with all these things, that's why we exist, to help tease these things out, to help you just think whether this could have been and whether you can believe it. The disciples in the boat that night couldn't. <laughs> Jesus says to them, are your hearts still hardened? You've just seen the feeding of the 5,000. You've seen me walking on water before. You still don't get it. We often just don't get it. That's okay. He's a patient, a gracious, and a loving God who will help us, and he will help you. Let's pray. Now, Father, I know that there are so many trials being faced in these pews this morning, difficulties, darknesses, hardships, suffering, loneliness, pain, anxieties, fear, and worry. Lord, I pray that it may serve as comfort to us that in these we may see you, and I ask you that you will grant revelation in these hard times. Let those who are doing it tough see you. Let, they be remind, let them be reminded of who you are. Whisper to us in our hearts that it is you, the great I am. When we struggle to recognize you, give us clear sight. Let us see you. Let us behold you. And Father, I pray for the storms that can be calmed down and the winds that can, be died, can die down and can be made to die down. Will you do it? Will you calm those storms? Bring relief, bring safety, bring security. And if we must press on, continue to strain at the oars, let us hold firmly to the hope that we profess, that life's ultimate storm, the chaos of human history, that will be calmed down by you. Thank you for that hope. <laughs> Thank you for that promise. Thank you that we can press on. And Father, I pray for those uh, who may still struggle, for whom it's difficult, difficult to accept that you, Lord Jesus, are the great I am, <laughs> that you've made us, that you've made everything. 
and that you can do with it whatever you like. I ask that you'd give us great faith. Bring us to the point of accepting. And let us become your children to call you on this day our Father. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.